we're going to talk about hope this morning, um, which I thought was the topic that I should bring. Um, it took a while to come together, but hopefully um, at the end of this you will leave yeah, with more hope than when we've begun. But it really was the topic I felt we should talk about. And as ever in bringing a topic like this, or any topic, it's a real privilege actually to be able to stand uh, and share with you um, as church. So thank you for listening. (laughs) And hopefully this will be a blessing to all of us as we begin. And I'm just wondering as we start with this topic of hope, how hopeful you feel today. It's been... An interesting year. It continues to be an interesting time in political life. There's turbulence wherever we look. Maybe in the environment. Maybe you come with hope for a new decade or how that's going to pan out. What about our immediate circumstances? How hopeful are we in our life, in our jobs, in our health? What about our local community, the communities in which we live? What signs of hope do we see there? Or do we see signs of hope? And I think hope is really a message that we all need to hear um, through our lives, um, into our communities, into our situations, and get a reminder of what our hope really is. So assuming this advance, we're going to be looking at hope in three ways, really. Delayed hope, immediate hope, and what our ultimate hope might be. So thinking about delayed hope, I've been thinking again um, about Matthew and his gospel and how he starts talking about the birth of Jesus. And he starts this way. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. When he had contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I don't know if you then do what I sometimes do and take a look at the footnotes in your Bible, but you will know that that quotation in Matthew's Gospel is actually from one of the prophets, and that prophet is Isaiah. And it's from Isaiah um, chapter 7, verse 14. And so, in thinking about delayed hope, I thought it might be interesting to go back and just look at that verse in its original context, in the context to which Isaiah was speaking. Um, And so this is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 14, abridged, and I've got the words on the screen here. During the reign of um, Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, king Razim of Syria, and king... Now, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Is it Pachah, would you say? Pachah of Remalia of Israel marched up to Jerusalem to do battle but they were unable to prevail against it. It was reported to the family of David, Syria has aligned with Ephraim. And this was the northern kingdom. And at this time, as you read in the Bible, um, the, the people of God, the people of Israel, had split into one, two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. 
that in their people were emotionally shaken, just as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So the Lord told Isaiah, Go out with your son, Shear-Jazeb, and meet Ahaz. Tell him, make sure you stay calm. Don't be afraid. Syria has plotted with Ephraim and the son of Amalia to bring about your demise. They say, let's attack Judah, terrorize it, conquer it. For this reason, the sovereign Lord says, it will not happen. It will not take place. It will not happen. The Lord spoke again to Ahaz, ask for a confirming sign from the Lord your God. You can even ask for something miraculous. But Ahaz responded, I don't want to ask. I don't want to put the Lord to the test. So Isaiah replied, pay attention, family of David. Do you consider it too insignificant to try the patience of men? Is that why you are also trying the patience of my God? For this reason, and this is the quote, the Lord himself will give you a confirming sign. Look, this young woman is about to conceive and will give birth to a son. You, young woman, will name him Emmanuel. And it's interesting sometimes to go back and look at the context of these verses and the way that the gospel writers um, and indeed Paul and other writers of the New Testament reinterpreted these verses or gave them a new context in the light of what they had seen and heard. But Isaiah himself was writing to King Ahaz around about 730 BC. And the main issue at that time was the northern kingdom, the threat to his kingship and the invasion. And the sign that was given to him, as far as I can understand from what I've read, is likely to have been the birth of an actual child, possibly, and we don't know, to a princess of the royal court. The young woman who gave birth is never named. But it was a sign at that time that the dynasty at that time would continue. And so when you look at the commentators who commentate on this verse, we talk about two ways in which this verse was fulfilled. There was the near fulfillment in Isaiah's time, in Ahaz's time. But then we're also looking forward to the ultimate or ultimate completion in Jesus some 700 or more years later. And in the preceding years, a lot had happened to that southern kingdom. As we know, they were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and exiled into Babylon. There was the rise of the Persian Empire, the exiles, the the construction of the Second Temple. There was the conquest of Judea by Alexander the Great. There was the Maccabean Revolt. And for a time they had an independent dynasty called the Hasmodean dynasty. And then as we come into the Gospel times, the people of God are under Roman occupation. And it must have been hard for them to see the ultimate hope of what God was doing with his people. There was a sense in which the hope that they may have had had been delayed, but they were also waiting. They were waiting for the Messiah. And over that time period, Jewish hope had developed into the hope and the expectation that there would be a Messiah. The word Messiah actually comes from a Hebrew word, um, which is Mashiach, which means the anointed one. And ultimately, they were expecting someone who would be potentially a warrior king who would subjugate the nations, who would annihilate all the powers of wickedness and idolatry, who would cleanse the Holy Land and build a new house for the Lord and become the Redeemer of Israel. And that was the expectation of the people. And it's interesting when we look back at Isaiah, because Isaiah 
as most of the prophets were, were writing to the people of their time in their context. And I wonder how much Isaiah may have grasped of what this verse um, 14, that the young woman would conceive and bear a child and what that would actually ultimately mean in Israel's history. One thing I always enjoy about the Bible is that it's at its heart a human book as well as being God's book, God's story. That the people who wrote the Bible were humans like us. And they lived in a time and a place and a context. And I think it's just interesting to reflect on that the delayed hope for Israel was coming. Isaiah wrote in his context, but over 700 years later, could have he imagined what God was really going to do? I think it's an interesting thing. And we know that when Jesus came, he didn't come as a warrior king. He didn't align himself necessarily with the expectations of the Jewish people in terms of what they expected a Messiah to do. And we know that the hope of Isaiah and all of the Old Testament writers ultimately points to Jesus. That that hope would be fulfilled in Emmanuel. God with us. A child who was God himself. And I think at this point it's always worth pausing because these tales are so familiar to us that somehow they might lose their resonance. I read this quote from a philosopher called Beatrice Brotou, and she says that in the person of Christ, divine nature and human nature, what would seem to be the opposites of being are held together in intimate union of a single person. Without ceasing to be God, the word becomes human. And without ceasing to be incarnate as a human being, this person is divine. And I'm going to suggest this is probably way beyond what Isaiah would have grasped and understood at his time. And I think even for us, some 2,000 years later, how hard is it for us to grasp even that truth? That in God, that in Christ, two persons, yet not separate. But it also offers us some hope. Isaiah saw some hope in his day, but the ultimate hope was delayed, was deferred by some 700 years. And I'm just wondering, as you're coming here today, is there something that you've been hoping for? Maybe for a long time. Have you lost hope that it could be fulfilled? And in a much smaller way than the incarnation, might that hope be fulfilled, but in a way that you didn't expect? Delayed hope. But there is hope. And we have immediate hope, and this leads us on to that point. You know, what is our hope for today? For our situation? For our communities? For the people that we know? baby that was born in the manger we have the manger and the cross here still grew up and started to talk and started to teach the people and that baby grew up to teach about the kingdom of God but it wasn't like the warrior king that they expected, it wasn't like the political kingdom that they may have hoped for and Jesus talked many times about the kingdom of God. And this is just one example 
um, from Matthew's Gospel again. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. A couple of parables. He gave him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest garden plant and becomes a tree, so that the wild birds come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. And I think there's a sense there of our immediate hope that in the small things, a small mustard seed, but that grows into a large tree, a small amount of yeast works through the whole dough and causes it to rise. You know, we believe that in God, Christ has truly begun to inaugurate the kingdom of heaven or, another way, God's present rule and reign. But this is not hope for the future as much as it's hope for today. It's already begun and it continues into the future. Our immediate hope that we have starts with the empty tomb. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And here's a quote that I like that summarises the, the season that we find ourselves in and the season that we're looking forward to. Christmas makes Easter possible, while Easter makes Christmas meaningful. Christmas makes Easter possible, while Easter makes Christmas meaningful. And so we live with immediate hope. We live with the inauguration of God's kingdom in Jesus through the resurrection. We live as people that are part of the great story of God. We've thought about the delayed hope that the prophets saw in the Old Testament that ultimately was fulfilled in Christ. But Christ came preaching the kingdom of God and then Christ demonstrated that and ultimately by rising from the dead. But as people now today, what is our hope? We can pray what we learned was maybe better called the disciples' prayer. That and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. That this truly is now a world where despite what we see around us, despite the things that maybe cause us to despair or lose hope, that this truly is a world in which Jesus is Lord. This truly is a world in which Jesus is Lord. And that was one of the quotes from the early church. They said Jesus is Lord because for them, in their context, if Jesus is Lord, then that means that Caesar is not. And that remains at its heart still today, a, a statement that's spiritual, but also political, that says a lot about our present reality. Because if Jesus is Lord, then it means that Trump is not. It means that Boris Johnson is not. It means that Nicola Sturgeon is not. Or whoever seems to have power today. That our hope as church is that Jesus is Lord. And that we can say that with the early church. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of Brian Zahand. Um, he's an American pastor. 
I really love what he says and what he writes. And he wrote this during Advent. We've been seduced by an idolatry that deceives us into thinking that God is mostly found in the big and the loud, where in fact God is almost never found in the big and the loud. The ways of God are predominantly small and quiet. The ways of God are about as loud as a seed falling on the ground or as bread rising in an oven. The ways of God are almost never found in the shouts of the crowd. The ways of God are more often found in trickling tears and in whispered prayers. We want God to do a big thing, whilst God is planning to do a small thing. We are impressed by the big and loud. God is not. We are in a hurry. God is not. We want God to act fast, but God's speed is almost always slow. So we are waiting for God to act, but I would suggest that we're not so much waiting for God to act as we are waiting to be contemplative enough to discern what God is doing. God is always acting because God is always loving his creation. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit are always inviting us into their house of love. But when we are consumed by anger, harried by anxiety and driven by impatience, we are blind and deaf to what God is actually doing in the present moment. The ways of God are about as loud as a seed falling on the ground or as bread rising in the oven. God is always acting because God is always loving his creation. And our immediate hope is summarised in some of that. That God has not abandoned this world. That he has inaugurated the kingdom. And that we, as people, as individuals, as families, as church, get to be part of bringing in that kingdom today. What hope can we see around us of God acting? Sometimes, or as Brian would contend often, maybe always, it's in the small things. What are the small things of hope that we can see in our lives, in our communities, in our church, in our nation, in our world? What are the things that give us hope? Are we missing it? Are we in danger of looking for the big and the loud? Whereas the meaning and the hope is found in the small things. So we have immediate hope. We have delayed hope. We have immediate hope hope today. And we have ultimate hope. Because we know, as Isaiah found, that ultimate hope can be delayed, way beyond even what we may live to see. We must live today with an immediate sense that the kingdom is present, that God is not finished with his creation, that there is hope today because that kingdom breaks in, in ways sometimes that we don't expect, in ways sometimes that we might miss if we're not observant. But in terms of talking about ultimate hope, I've been rereading um, a book that I read quite a while ago. I don't know if anyone's read this. It's a book called Surprised by Hope um, by N.T. Wright, who's a very famous New Testament theologian. And I highly recommend it. Um, It goes into much more detail than I could possibly do today. And I wonder how you might express what our ultimate hope is. 
We've talked about the meaning that Christmas and Easter give to each other. Um, Dougal asked me, shall we move the manger? I said, no, it's a, good method, it's a good something that I can refer to today. We've got the cross and the manger together. The Christmas and Easter work together and give us hope. But ultimately, what is our ultimate hope? And in this book, um, Tom, in much more detail than I can, says that you know, if we think about our ultimate hope as simply going to heaven when we die, then we've missed the point. We've already seen that in Jesus, a Messiah came that missed the expectations of the people. It wasn't the Messiah they were expecting. And this Messiah, far from being a warrior king that was going to bring military rule and reign to the people of Israel and restore them, was actually the servant king who came ultimately to give his life. And so our ultimate hope starts there. Because that servant king that gave his life, as we've said before, was raised from the dead. And it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, the Apostle Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile. And your and my faith is empty. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile. And your faith is empty. And my faith is empty. And this stand is going to collapse on me. But if Christ has been raised, and he has. If Christ has been raised, then this is how Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 28. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then when Christ comes, those who belong to him. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. When he has brought to an end all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be eliminated is death. For he has put everything in subjugation under his feet. But when it says everything has been put in subjugation, it's clear this does not include the one who puts everything in subjugation to him. And when all things are subjugated to him, then the Son himself will be subjugated to the one who subjugated everything to him, so that God may be all in all. Amen. Amen. This is the ultimate hope that we carry into the here and now. That death does not have the final word. That God will be all in all. That at last, the statement Jesus is Lord will be recognised not just among those who profess it today, but amongst all people. And that we will, as those who have gone before us, will be raised to new life. Christ gives us that hope. Let's say it again, the tomb on Easter morning was empty. The kingdom has come. Jesus' present rule and reign is here today. But we live in that time between the now and the not yet. We live as people that are waiting. 
But what are we waiting for? We are not waiting, I would suggest, simply to go off to a disembodied heaven. But, and it's better than that, it is a remade heaven and earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is always summarised well in Revelation. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is amongst human beings. He will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will not exist anymore. Or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the former things have ceased to exist. God will be all in all. Christ has gone before us as the first fruits. That's our ultimate hope. That we will follow after that God is not done with this old earth. But he's ready. He's planning to remake it. Tom Wright says in his book, at this point where believing in the resurrection of Jesus suddenly ceases to be a matter of inquiring about an odd event in the first century and becomes a matter of rediscovering hope in the 21st century. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realise that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful and the unscrupulous do not after all have the last word. The same worldview shift which is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus is the shift that will enable us to transform the world. And that's the hope that we carry into today but also for the future. That Jesus truly is Lord. You were singing one of the songs, Come Lord Jesus. And that was the cry, the cry at the end of Revelation. Not that Jesus, in a sense, would be present with us now, although he is. But that ultimately, come Lord Jesus, is asking for Jesus to come. Bring the kingdom to fruition. Bring your rule and reign now. Complete the work that you started on Easter. Complete the work that you've started in us. Complete what you're doing. Come Lord Jesus, is the cry of the church. Not hoping for a disembodied reality after we die, but hoping for a new heavens and a new earth in which God will be all in all in a way that is really, really, really hard to, be imag- to imagine. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this, in the light of everything that he said about the resurrection, so then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. If resurrection and restoration are our ultimate hope, if God is not finished with this creation, if creation will be very good once more, what hope does that give us for today? In the light of the resurrection, Paul did not write, just hold out for heaven. But in the light of the resurrection and the hope that that gives us, Paul says now that our work today 
is not in vain. So as a question, are we working towards that hope? I wonder if anyone's tired, because sometimes it's tiring and it's hard, and we're not sure if it really matters, or at least I feel that way sometimes. But Paul tells us that we should know that our labour is not in vain. And there is a mystery here. We've talked about a number of mysteries. The mystery of the incarnation. The mystery, I would suggest, of the empty tomb and how resurrection truly works. But there's another mystery, that as we wait for that hope, as we wait for the new heavens and the new earth, as we wait for resurrection, for not just for us, but for those who have gone before and those who will come after, that in Christ, everything that's done now, every act of justice, every act of peace, every act that points to the present hope of the kingdom breaking in and points to the ultimate hope of resurrection, that these these things that are done in Christ will last and somehow, in a way that I simply don't understand, be included in the new creation. So we do not labour in vain. What we do today really matters. The hope that we carry into this world really matters. Whether we see its fulfilment, as the prophets didn't, but they spoke in hope and expectation, whether we see the immediate hope, whether that's in the small things, the small ways that we see God breaking in, the small ways in which we see the kingdom come, the small ways in which we see God's rule and reign established today, or whether we carry in our labours, in our working towards that, the hope, the ultimate hope of resurrection and restoration of the kingdom. That these things will be included and that God himself will be all in all. exciting isn't it it's a mystery as well and as I've grown slightly older although I'm not as old and wise as many here I've grown to appreciate more and more the mystery of some of these things but the mystery also comes with that sense of hope so hope delayed, immediate our ultimate hope covered a lot of ground (laughs) we've gone from Isaiah through to Matthew through to Corinthians through to Revelation and there's much, much more that could be said about many of these topics but I hope that you leave here more hopeful than when you came in and though hope may be delayed that we may not see its completion today that we know that the work we do today is not in vain and that we have ultimate hope in the God that will restore all things. So let's pray. I'm going to use the words of Romans 15:13. So may the God of hope fill you, fill me, fill us with all joy and peace as you trust in him, as I trust in him, as we trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.